This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Hop Forward podcast. How is it going out there? A few weeks ago, I was at Ciba BRX and I was really keen to chat to somebody from Ciba because like many of you, um, you're probably part of the UK Brewing and Beer Professionals Facebook group, which is just a, a source of knowledge and information and obviously community for people out there in the brewing industry. And if you're not part of that group, then like, where have you been? <laughs> you should be part of that group. Um, you get a lot out of it. Um, but there's a lot of talk amongst brewers about CBA. Now, obviously, you probably all know this, but if, in case you don't, CBA is the Society of Independent Brewers Associations. So it's an organisation that started in the 70s or early 80s. I can't remember. Um, a while ago, put it that way, um, for independent breweries under a certain size. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of contention over the last few years as to what that certain size is and who should be included in the gang. Um, and there's a lot of contention with small breweries out there in regards to something like Beerflex um, or DDS, as it was called, which is the direct delivery scheme to um, pubs like Green King and Enterprise and uh, Trust and all those kind of uh, pub co's. So there's lots of issues surrounding um, CBA, but actually, you know, for all the problems that CBA does have, um, there are lots of great points. Obviously, BRX is like, I think it's like the second biggest trade show in Europe uh, for the brewing industry, but it's an absolutely fantastic event with this huge beer competition. And... SIBA um, are fighting your corner in regards to things like small brewers relief. So I don't know if you've seen, but there was a government questionnaire surrounding small brewers relief because they're going to review it. Um, that for your brewery, if you run a brewery rather than a bar, listen to this, could potentially have a massive impact because a lot of brewers have come into the brewing industry over the last few years and are getting small brewers relief, which is a discount on beer duty of 50% if you're producing under 5,000 hectolitres, and then you get tapered relief up to 60,000 hectolitres. However, they want to review this in the next budget. So if they scrap that, all of a sudden you're going to be paying a lot more beer duty. Now, I know the, the bitter sting when you're trying to grow your business based on cash flow rather than having access to capital or finance or whatever of at the end of every month being hit with several thousands of pounds um, more obviously if you're much bigger um, every single month of beer duty now imagine all of a sudden that being doubled you know that could spell the end of a lot of breweries so someone like Seba is trying to fight your corner um, on that front how successfully they do it I'll leave that up to you whether you're a Seba fan or not that's totally down to you um, but when it comes to small brewers relief or working with the Portman group um, on all kinds of issues 
that arise, like the um, units of alcohol, which we'll talk about in this episode, um, then they're, they're fighting your corner. One thing I would suggest you do is take some time out to write to your MP. Um, I know it can feel a little bit like, well, I've got all kinds of stuff to be getting on with and I've got to make beer and I've got to go deliver it and stuff. But it's it's actually those things are really, really important to sit down for 10, 15 minutes and draft a letter to your MP. Because actually when a lot of people do something, it may, it does make a difference and people will stand up and listen. So um, having said that, I wanted to get an interview with someone for Seabird. So I caught up with James Calder from Seabird at BRX um, to just chat about a range of different issues um, from Seabird and Small Brewers Relief and the Portman Group and other such festivities. So uh, let's get into today's episode with James Calder from Seabird. As usual, if you like the podcast, please leave a very nice review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is. Send a homing pigeon or something. Um, do homing pigeons deliver podcast reviews? I don't know. Try it. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Four Beers. And go to our website, hotford.beer, sign up to our mailing list and just generally be nice to the podcast because it takes a lot of effort to put these bad boys together um so let's get into today's episode with james from seba i'm joined by james calder here at brx in liverpool how's it going it's going all right I'm, i've been here five days i've been helping set up i'm a bit knackered but, but it's good. I'm enjoying myself. Good, good. So you're not suffering from beer fatigue yet? No. Uh, my colleague has lost his voice. We tried to give him some nice liquid medicine last night, but, uh, <laughs> but it hasn't seemed to have much of an effect. Nice. So what, what you, what's in your glass? Uh, I've got Hammerson Crunch. It's uh, it's peanut butter milk stout. It's oh, delicious. Nice. It's very nice. Tastes like Snickers. Oh, mate. Any, any beer that tastes like Snickers is good. Only in small quantities, though. I don't yeah, think yeah. I can drink <laughs> like three pints of it. <laughs> what have you got in your glass? I can't remember the name of it. You, you introduced me to them. You it said they did Whitstable Breweries. Golden Pale, uh, Golden Ale, I think. How is it? How's it tasting? It's nice. Pretty, pretty straight up Golden Ale. But you know, I'm, I've only just got here after a delayed train, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going in light before the uh, Imperial Stouts and the Black IPAs. Um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about Seba and Small Brewers Relief and Portman Group and lo- lots of issues for breweries they're engaged with at the moment. Yeah. So, uh, but before we do that, what, what's your role within Seba? So I'm head of public affairs and comms. Um, what that means in practice is I'm Seba's lobbyist. Right. Um, Seba's never had a lobbyist before before me. Um, I've been with Seba for about eighteen months. So, like you say, I'm I'm kind of in charge uh, in Seba on issues like Small Brewers Relief, the Portman Group Code. Uh, the pubs code review, wider campaigns on business rates, taxation, basically like the boring stuff that brewers don't have time to do themselves, yeah. which is why I do it, but vitally, vitally important to, to ensure a lively and sustainable brewing market in the UK. Mm. So we get a lot of listeners from across the world. Um, obviously, a lot of our UK listeners will be members of or familiar with CBA, but for mm. those who aren't, can you give a general overview of the role of CBA within the beer industry and what purpose it serves? Yeah, sure. So... SIBA uh, is the Society of Independent Brewers, and we're coming up to our 40th birthday. 40? Which is amazing, yeah. We're one of the oldest uh, craft uh, beer trade associations in the world. And um, really, SIBA uh, has got kind of two sides. So, my side is you know, the trade association side. So, we, we represent members uh, in Westminster, Brussels, uh, Holyrood, Cardiff, Northern Ireland, wherever. Mm. Um, 
on those kind of regulatory big ticket issues um, that, that I already mentioned. The other side of our uh, operations is kind of the commercial side. So one of the big issues in the UK uh, we have is that a lot of the pubs in the, U in the UK are owned by pubcos, big businesses. And they, despite the craft beer revolution in the UK, they don't want to deal with 800 or more little breweries with 800 different invoicing um, techniques. So we have something called Beerflex. Right. And Beerflex is a tool, um, it's, a, it's a commercial operation that helps fund the trade association and it enables those small brewers to have market access into those big Thai pub estates where they wouldn't otherwise. Right, just I mean, just on that, one of the questions I have was about pubco. So um, yeah, a <laughs> just just going with the hard hitting questions from the from the offset starters of me to go on. I mean, a complaint I often hear and I've experienced first time actually running a, running a brewery um, as part of Seba is, is selling into pubcos via beer flex. Yeah. Uh, for many brewers, the, the figures just don't sort of stack up. So yeah. the cost of sale alongside beer duty means that with some of the rates pubcos are charging, um, yeah, or paying sorry for for those beers. Um, you know, it's the, the margins are either tight and or, or just non-existent. So brewers are often faced with this decision, a difficult decision of, do they cut their losses, just have their beers seen in some of these chain pubs, or do they stick to their guns and refuse to sell beer for less than it costs to make? What are CBA doing to ensure that everyone gets a fair deal uh, when selling through the scheme? And what are the advantages, if they're not financial ones, to selling beers through like a Green King or Enterprise pub? Mm. And then what would you say to the brewers who are disgruntled by Beer Flex and in the worst case scenario choose to leave Seba because yeah. of it? <laughs> we're diving straight in. <laughs> we are, we're going straight in. It's a good job we've got that beer, mate. <laughs> it, is, it is. Okay, so I mean, th there's lots of different elements to this. I mean, to, to the brewers that do use Beer Flex, yes, the margins are very small. Um, for some brewers, it can be quite a significant part of their business um, because the pub codes are still very large and they, they still sell a lot of beer. Um, the reason that the margins are so tight is, it, there's a couple of different reasons. So one, the market is obviously very competitive at the moment. And you know, at our, at our AGM this morning, there was a motion on this and the discussion was, was lengthy. Um, the market is very competitive, so in a natural environment, that means that prices are low. The other issue that we have is because small brewers find it very difficult to sell directly to a Green King or a Fuller's or an EI or a Punch, um, we have to do it for them. Mm. But we have competition law in the UK, which means that we can't act as a cartel. Right. <laughs> um, so if we were to, you know, if we were to go into one of these large pub companies and say, you know, we want the minimum price of 60 quid uh, a cask or 70 quid a cask or 80 quid, whatever it may be. And that is a, that is a high price. Mm. Um, a lot of people are selling casks for a lot less than that. Um, if we were to go in and do that, we would immediately be in very, very deep trouble with, with the competition law and lawyers. We'd, we'd go to court. It's, it's acting as a cartel. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the kind of catch-22 that, that we're facing. The, the way in which we're going forward with Beerflex is, and again, this was mentioned this morning at RAGM, if any brewers are listening, I, I hope you were there and um, you kind of took part in the debate. One of the solutions to this is what we're calling ethical, flexible pricing, sustainable pricing. So it's not going into a pubco uh, and asking for you know, a set price, but it's the ability to flex that price up and down yeah. a little bit depending upon if that brewer needs that little bit more. Um, you know, a lot of the discussion this morning that we had at the AGM was you know, ABV level pricing 
doesn't really work anymore. Well, that's something I was going to bring up because yeah. it's like back in the day, you know, when when real ales were all pretty much of a muchness, really, you know, it was a, either a golden bitter or a best bitter or a stout or porter, um, you know, that I would imagine that wasn't as much of a problem. But now that you can get 3.8% session IPAs yeah. that are, you know, heavily dry hops and stuff, just because it's 3.8%. The, qual- <laughs> the quality of the ingredients in going into some yeah. of these beers, you know, part of the discussion that we had this morning was, you know, some of our independent SIBA member beer, you know, is going on the same lists as, as beer that's been put up by mm. big multinationals. And, you know, you, you can't compare like for like. They're completely different products made in a completely different way, two totally different scales. One with love, an actual decent amount of hops, gram per litre, and another, which is just, you know, I, I don't want to name names necessarily, but we all know who those yeah. beers are. <laughs> Doombar. <laughs> yeah. So the other aspects, of um, the cost of sale to brewers obviously is the elephant in the room beer tax yeah um we have a lot of our listeners from all kinds of backgrounds actually it's not it's not just brewers but there are a lot of general you know beer fans that listen to this podcast as well and for, for the benefit of the, the tape as it were <laughs> can you give us a quick overview of how hmrc beer duty and excise works yep. and what that typically means for both the brewer and the consumer um, before we dive into sort of the really brewery specific questions about small brewers relief. Uh, sure, yeah. So um, in the UK, we have one of the highest rates of beer taxation in the world, um, certainly in Europe. Um, British consumers drink, uh, I think it's 11% of Europe's beer, but pay 40% of all of Europe's beer Crazy. tax. It's a great camera statistic that I, I use regularly. Um, so in, in the UK, we have something called small brewers relief, if I can just dive straight into that. Um, Small Brewers Relief was brought in in 2002 uh, by Gordon Brown and then reviewed back in uh, 2004, modified slightly. Basically, because we have one of the highest rates of beer tax in the world, um, compared to the likes of Germany or or wherever, small brewers pay half as much beer duty as a larger brewer, Mm. uh, and that's progressive. So after after a level um, which is 5,000 hectolitres, after 5,000 hectolitres, the amount of duty that a small brewer pays starts to increase. So 5,000 hectolitres is like half a million litres, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. When I can't do the maths in my head by dividing that by 568, but it's a lot of pints. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. And then that runs on a scale, doesn't it, up to... Um, up so to you, you've got small brewers, which really, is like 50%. And then the next one up is kind of like there's a sliding scale, isn't there? Can't so, remember what the figures are. So, so it's a sliding scale. So at 5,000, you pay 50% of the full rate. At 10,000 hectolitres, you pay 75% of the full rate. And then it tapers up to 100% all the way up to 60,000 hex. I don't know if I can give you a graph to put yeah. on this podcast, <laughs> but I'm, I'm looking at a graph now just to kind of remind me of, of the numbers. Um, but basically, without Small Brewers Relief, um, we wouldn't have had the craft beer explosion that we've had in the UK. Yeah. It is directly responsible for the establishment of you know, 1,500 breweries or more. Mm. Um, without it, we wouldn't be drinking Hamilton Crunch and, um, wow. and that beautiful golden ale from Whistable, Be- uh, Whistable Brewery. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's been a lot of contention around um, the issue of small brewers relief over the last few years, especially when it comes to reviewing taxation on beer. Yeah. Um, I mean, why do you think it's such a contentious issue on either end of the scale from the, from the little guys that are trying to make ends meet and say, no, no, we, we, we need to pay less. Um, look at all those regional family breweries, why are they saying that they 
um, you know, they need to pay less as well. They're big enough, blah, 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 blah. They've got all these stakes, you know, your Fullers, Smith and Turners and all the rest of it. Um, but then St. Hostels are saying, no, no, we need, you know, we, we need to be paying less as well. And everyone, <laughs> when it comes to tax, everyone wants to pay less. Yeah. Um, but why, why do you think there's that real contention around that issue? Um, I mean, normally speaking, I think brewing is, is fraternity is the wrong word, but mm. you know, there's a lot of mutual respect amongst brewers. But because the market is now so competitive, um, you, you kind of naturally start to get these, these groupings form of, like you say, family brewers, medium-sized brewers that have been established a little bit longer. And the natural kind of cleaving point um, seems to be, and is from, from my experience, those guys versus the really small micros. So the guys you know, in sheds with, you know, <laughs> with really, really nice brew kits, but you know, only brewing in really, really small batches. Um, that seems to be the natural cleaving point. I, personally, I think a brewer at 1,000 hectolitres and 54% of SIBA members are 1,000 hectolitres or below, so most of SIBA members are really, really small guys. I would say that the really, really small guys and maybe a brewery 20 times their size are still small, really. Mm. You know, we're, we're talking a 20 size difference. But if you compare those guys to the likes of Heineken, Morrison Coors, Carlsberg, <laughs> AB InBev, you know, those big four global brewers have 88% of the market share in the UK. And us small independent brewers of varying sizes are scrabbling around for six or 7%. That's why Small Brewers Relief is so contentious at the moment because everybody is fighting for that six or 7% slice of the pie. And any advantage that can be gained from lobbying the government, if you're a medium-sized brewer, there's a group called the Small Brewers Duty Reform Coalition. Um, uh, led by Rupert Thompson of Hogsback Brewery. Um, you know, those guys are, rightly or wrongly, arguing for a little bit more tax relief in a way that's going to benefit their businesses, but unfortunately to the detriment of a lot of really small ones. SIBA doesn't agree with that. SIBA thinks that no small brewer should lose any duty relief, um, because if any small brewer were to lose any duty relief, it's going to shut breweries down. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what, what do you think can be done to help smaller independent breweries like you know the really smaller ones that solely rely on cash flow to reinvest back in their businesses because yeah. you know once <laughs> once a month at the end of every month you, you can be crippled by beer gt even at a 50 percent reduction yeah it's still your biggest cost like you know what more could be done what are SIBA sort of push uh, a pushing for more to be done to help the, the smallest breweries i mean g generally speaking or specifically on gt uh, yeah both yeah both yeah, yeah. so <sighs> Unfortunately, we are, we're getting really deep dive here, but unfortunately we're, we're constrained by European Union law, the Structures Directive, which governs um, alcohol taxation in, in member states. Um, you can't give more than a 50% discount to any brewer on their duty relief right. uh, under European law. I did not know that. So maybe when we leave the European Union, maybe. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I don't wanna dive into that. We can. No, it's, in it's a question of, on here. <laughs> in terms of its uh, applicability to, um, to brewers. Just for context to your listeners, you know, today we've got the, yesterday we had the parliamentary vote on uh, ruling out a no deal. Today we've got, I don't know, I haven't looked at my phone in a while. Oh, we, it was oh, we, might have a we might not have a government today. Oh, oh gosh, anything could happen, <laughs> isn't it? Um, I think it was, um, they don't want a no deal. They're voting for an extension they, to yeah, 50, yeah. They want a deal, but not a no deal, but not the deal Theresa May's offered. And they want an extension to Article 50, and so that's today's vote. And free beer for everyone. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Can't remember where we were now. Uh, SBR, we're still Yeah, SBR. European Union. Yeah, so um, 
European Union, the, the rules basically mean that we can't give more than 50% discount to any small brewer. We'd love to, I'm, I'm sure we'd love to, because as you say, a lot of brewers out there are on really, really tight margins and any extra help they can get is always really worthwhile. Mm. At, at the end of the day, you know, Siva has you know, five different strategic directions and there are things that we can do. We can help members bring their costs down by offering services and we're at BeerX in Liverpool. All of our supplier members, so people who do brew finance, kit, hot merchants, monsters, all the rest, they're all here. Um, and if brewers can find a, a supplier that gets them something cheaper, that does help them. That all helps the bottom line. Um, at the end of the day, you know, brewers are businesses themselves. And the only way that they can help their financial position is either to sell more beer, sell better quality beer, or change their business model. You know, maybe go into canning or bottling or start contract mm. brewing, bottling, canning for somebody else. Um, there, there's no magic bullet. You know, the, there is a there is a perception, uh, I think, amongst average consumers that you know craft beer is booming, and it is. It's great. We should be really positive and upbeat about it. But the reality is, for a lot of people out there. You know, they're, they're struggling to put food on the table in some cases. I remember Pete Brown at BRX last year in his um, session, Reasons to be Cheerful, was saying that uh, there's about 51% of all beer sales, licensed beer sales, that are off, off licensed beer sales. And then about a quarter of the 49% are unlicensed, like pubs and so on. But then the other quarter, a lot of breweries don't tap into, you know, restaurants, art yeah. galleries, gig venues, yeah, yeah. All, all these kind of things. And um, I think one of the things I've discovered through running a business is that you've got to think outside the box. You do. And it can sound like business management crap to, to, to hear those sort of things, particularly if you're a brewer and the main thing you're about is brewing beer, hmm. but you happen to own a business. Um, it's really important that you, you, you take a step back, I think, and try and think differently and maybe even look at some other industries and what they're doing like a clothes, the clothes industry or the music industry or whatever uh, and then maybe leverage some of the ideas from there into your own business um, rather than just complaining all the time that oh you know I'm, I'm being taxed I'm being this I'm being that and you know I, I agree with all that I think we, we should be paying less tax particularly smaller breweries it'd be great to be paying less tax um, but I think as you say there are other things James that brewers can do yeah um, but obviously it can be quite hard if you're in a brewery because you know you're digging out the mash tun you may order an ingredients you're making sure casks are all washed you've got enough on your plate as it is without then thinking oh I need to work on my business but that's where I think a lot of smaller independent breweries fall down hmm. uh, you did say the word cask and it, it, that, I mean that's a good place to start really I mean a lot of CBA members and a lot of brewers out there are still traditional cask brewers mm. and you know we are seeing a, a trend where many more of our members are packing a lot more of their beer into cans and bottles you know they're making investments in really sexy bottling lines and yeah. we've got a lot of those out here at BeerX uh, today um, uh, amazing some of the stuff that's been brought in but if you're a traditional cash brewer it's very difficult to sell that in a restaurant or a cafe or a yeah. bar or a gig venue because you can't so you have to make those investments in bottling lines canning lines to be able to tap into that market and the online market as well you know we're seeing more and more people going to the likes of Honest Brew, Beerhawk, uh, Ales by Mail, well not anymore Ales by Mail, um, to, to buy beer, you know, it, people want convenience, people want choice, variety, quality delivered directly to their door. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, that I used to work with and uh, he, he said that him and his family are looking to move to South Wales and he said, um, oh, there's, you know, there's no, um, 
there's no craft breweries out there, you know, I'll have to order beer by mail. I was like, well, you know, you, you've got stuff like Beer 52 and, and those kind of things. Mm. And I think um, breweries do well to, you know, invest in a web shop, get a license to do it and, and sell their mm. beers online and promote them. I mean, it, we, th- this conversation started with talking about pubcos and, you know, the really successful savvy brewers out there. Um, you know, I can name a couple, uh, you know, on different ends of the scale, but you, you take somebody like Titanic Brewery, um, in Staffordshire, or you take um, Hop Stuff in South East London. The way that they've made money and the way that those businesses are successful is having li- their own licensed premises, their mm. own tap rooms, pubs. You know, uh, Titanic have got a great concept, which is um, it's sort of converting cafes in old like railway stations. You know, and, and having direct to consumer sales there, and everybody wins because you're selling as a brewery that beer at retail price. You don't have to pay a middleman. You don't have to pay the pubco. You've got an outpost for your own branding and your marketing strategy, and, and it's great. You know, Hop stuff in Southeast London, I think, are now on their fourth or fifth tap room. Yep. And it's simple. You know, it's craft pizza, it's craft beer in one place. It's great. But what do you think brewers can do that? I mean, it's all well and good if you've got access to funds, whether mm. you know, you've got deep pockets or you've got financial investors, and those kind of things do make a difference but what about the brewers that are out there listening to this who are kind of like well I haven't got deep pockets I'm just funding my business through my cash flow where I can I can't afford a pub I can't afford to take on a retail unit set of a micro pub um, but you know I, I can't even afford to put my beer into cans you know mm. uh, I mean what would you suggest in that instance I mean it's hard you've got to be innovative you've got to think about every penny every firkin of beer that you're putting out to to maximise your, your return on that investment. And it's hard, you know, like I said, there is no, there is no magic bullet. Um, you know, come to BeerX and speak to your fellow brewers and, and speak to suppliers and think about how you can squeeze every last penny out, but don't compromise on quality. You know, that's a hard challenge, yeah. especially in the really competitive marketplace we've got at the moment, where brewers are potentially only making one, two, three percent margin on the beer that they're putting out. It's a great shame. Yeah. Just coming back to the duty thing, um, yeah, yeah. do you think the current system of beer duty works? Um, yes, yes, for, for the most part. Um, after 5,000 hectolitres, uh, we talked about this earlier, after 5,000 hectolitres, the, the rate at which the relief is withdrawn uh, acts effectively as, an, as a disincentive to grow. So if you're a brewer at 10,000 hex, you could actually be making less profit than you would be if you were 5,000, half the size that you've grown to. So th- there is uh, there is this quirk that has um, developed over time that acts as a disincentive to grow your business. Um, there is an argument that you know a brewer at five thousand hex is a nice size because you have a certain catchment area of like forty miles worth of free trade around you, and you might have other different bits and bobs going on. Um, but the the curve above five thousand hectoliters does need to be tweaked. It needs to be made slightly more generous to to not act as a disincentive to grow. Um, some of the concerns that we had this morning at, at the AGM, and they're, they're completely well-founded um, on, on doing that, is that if you're a brewer at 1,000 and a brewer at six or seven suddenly has a little bit more cash in their pocket, that's another competitive edge over you as the small guys. And we, we get that. We really do get that. Mm. Um, but again, it's, it's how, you, it's how you, you try and fix a, a multifaceted problem in a way that's going to be fair and equitable to everybody. Good luck with that. Yeah. And that, that <laughs> I, don't still, envy, I don't envy you. <laughs> but it still encourages growth. You know, it's, it's bonkers that if you double the size of your business, you might actually be making less money. Mm. So moving from one contentious issue to another, yeah. um, 
the Portman Group. Portman Group. Post. So uh, one of the roles Seaver plays is to lobby the government and groups on behalf of independent brewers. So recently, the Portman Group issued a new set of guidelines concerning ABV and and bottle sizes or, or packaging sizes, Tens. or, or like re, re, whether they're resealable or not resealable. Um, so this is going to have a massive effect on brewers producing certain styles like Imperial Stouts, Double IPAs. You know, in the, in the 750 mil um, share bottle sizes. Um, so, again, just so our listeners can fully understand the issue, can you clarify more of the issue and see the stance on that? Yeah, sure. So, just as some context up front, I mean, the, the Portman Group are the, the kind of regulatory body in the UK for alcohol promotion and marketing advertising. They are um, industry-funded, industry-run, um, and for the vast majority of the time, those guys do a fantastic job. They're really, really good. They're really helpful. The advisory service, so if you're a brewer that's got a design that you're not quite sure about, it might be you know, a little bit kind of beyond the pale, and that's not an intended pun, but it was. Uh, if you've got something that doesn't quite feel right, go to the advisory service, they'll help you out with it. They are, they're doing good work, but no regulator is, is perfect. Um, the, the issue that you, you refer to um, is around four units in a non-resealable container. And as you said, this is a huge potential problem for you know, brewers like Verdant, Cloudwater, even Titanic who make you know, Plum Porter or Plum Porter Reserve. There's lots of brewers out there that are making strong beers um, that aren't consumed immoderately. They're, they're meant to be shared. Um, kind of getting back to the basics though. So the alternative to the Portman Group uh, would be regulation. It would be um, legislation laid down by the Department of Health influenced by the temperance movement and influenced by uh, people who don't know very much about, about brewing. So whilst we don't agree with the Portman Group on this one issue, the alternative is, is much, much worse. Yeah. Um, the four units in a can uh, thing started about a year ago. We, I've been working on this for, for the last year or so. Um, and essentially the, their argument is that um, in a single serve non-resealable container, which they um, refer to as anything less than 568 millilitres, um, anything with more than four units in it, by definition, encourages a moderate consumption because that's you know that's a strong, uh, basically a strong beer in a, in a small format. Um, all of our research says that you know a strong beer in those kinds of formats is decanted, it's shared amongst friends, yeah. and they are not consumed immoderately because they're offered at price points you know that reflect the quality of the product, like six or seven or eight pounds. I mean, just to give your listeners a, some some kind of context. Um, you know, a lot of strong beers that we're talking about are packaged in, you know, 500 mil cans. So four units, because people don't know what units potentially means, four units uh, in a 500 mil can is a beer of 8% or above. And that sounds really strong, but when you look at, you know, yeah, you look at these imperial uh, IPAs, dippers, mm. porters, you know, that's, that's a reasonable threshold. And the, these kinds of beers are not that strong purely for the alcohol. They're that strong because the alcohol supports the complex flavours yeah, totally. in that style. Um, it's, it's not just about getting pissed and drinking immoderately, it's enjoying a quality product. So you know, they're, they're trying to do the right thing, given the, the Chief Medical Officer guidelines changed a couple of years ago. So the Chief Medical Officer uh, changed their guidelines for alcohol consumption. The panel, uh, which the Portman Group um, supports, so, so they say lost a reference point. So the idea is if you drink one or four units a day, every day, um, you're, you're increasing your chance of harm. There's a thing called the J-shaped curve. Right, okay. You know, you're familiar with the J-shaped curve? Yeah, yeah. So um, the J-shaped curve basically is, uh, if you're a moderate drinker, if you drink a little bit, 
um, which is you know, a small glass of wine every other day or every day, you're, you actually have a longer life expectancy than if you don't drink anything at all. Once you start to get over 28, 30 units a week, your, your chances of doing harm to yourself go up. Mm. But you know, that, that, that doesn't make any sense because you're not going to be drinking a can of you know, Imperial Porter or a, a double IPA every day. Yeah. You know, they're, they're maybe once a week, once a month. And all of the YouGov polling that we did uh, in preparation for this supports that case. So uh, I don't want kind of brewers and your listeners to think that um, they're, they're not allowed to make these beers anymore. They absolutely are. Um, we have got a meeting with those guys next week. Um, we're going to be taking a round table of brewers and retailers to go and see them and explore the issue a little bit more. Um, it's not the end of the, the discussion. It's, it's very much the start. Keep making dippers, imperials, and keep drinking them, please. Yeah, yeah, please. Because <laughs> they're really stop. good. So how should breweries go about lobbying organisations such as the Portmore Group to get their voices heard? Um, I mean, Zebra is a great conduit for that. Um, you know, brewers are really busy <laughs> brewing great beer and trying to sell great beer. Um, and sometimes they simply don't have time to, to do that kind of thing. That's, that's why my job exists. That's why I do what I do. But you know, on the Portman Group example specifically, only six independent brewers uh, responded to that consultation. Only six. If 600 would have responded, then maybe we might be in a different place and the Portman Group wouldn't have come out with this guidance. Um, but that, at the end of the day, you know, that's the role of trade associations. You know. um, camera members, you know, camera is a great still is a great campaigning organisation, 200,000 members, beer drinkers, it's brilliant. The BBPA, you know, the British Beer and Pub Association, I sometimes call them the Big Beer and Pub Association, but, <laughs> but that's, a, that's another separate thing. You know, they also do great work on, on business rates, on pubs and beer duty on behalf of their members. Um, lobbying is a, it's a, it's a fine art and it's difficult and it's tricky and sometimes it feels like you're banging your head against the brick wall, especially in you know, the political climate in the UK that yeah. we have at the moment. Um, but it's vital, you know, I, I still think it's absolutely vital. For, for brewers, to kind of answer your, your question directly, for how could they get involved in lobbying? Come to your local CBA meeting. You know, we, we host them in every region. We do three or four of those a year. Email me directly, get involved. If you want to lobby your local MP or the Treasury or DEFRA or DEXU or the Portman Group or whatever it is, I'm here to help. Mm. Um, come and email me. I'm the person. Do you think there aren't enough brewers lobbying for the different things like Small Brewers Elite or issues surrounding the Portman Group or whatever? Um, I think generally speaking, yeah. I think the, the Small Brewers Relief is a different issue because it's so important. I think yeah. a lot of brewers are getting involved. At my last check-in with Treasury, I think five or six hundred right. have submitted their views to, to the Treasury. But, but generally speaking, like I said, you know, the, those guys are busting their asses making great beer, selling great beer, and they just don't have time for this stuff because mm. they're running 10, 11, 13, 15 hour days. Yeah. It's hard. Well, it's sad, isn't it though? Because it's, it's, this and is one of those things that's kind of, it's not urgent, but it's really important. Yeah. And you can get into that trap when, when you're in any, any business, but particularly the smaller businesses, like you're doing everything that's seemingly urgent and important, I have to do this now, otherwise it's all gonna fall to bits, you know? rather than taking the time out, even just half an hour to think, well, the, these bigger issues will have a bigger and more detrimental effect if I don't focus a bit of energy on writing to my MP yeah. or, or whatever it is, you know. And there's a, there's a difference, again, to go back to the kind of sizes of brewery point, if you're a brewer that's got 10 or 15 employees, it's much, much easier to have somebody sit on their computer for an afternoon and read a consultation document, which quite frankly is pretty boring most mm. of the time. But if, like you say, if you've got 15 employees, you can afford to have somebody do that. But if you are 
a one-man team or a two-man team, it's much, much more difficult for you to do that. So Absolutely. that's why CBA's role, speaking up on behalf of those really small guys, is so important because those, those guys don't have time to do it. Mm. I think this leads nicely onto the last set of questions, um, as I've sort of touched upon a, a little bit throughout. Um, there is a bit of an air of discontentment with CBA for some brewers. Mm. Um, how does CBA intend to represent all independent brewers, regardless of the size, but also recognize that it's the smallest brewers in its organization that are the most vulnerable because just through conversations I've had over the last years you know it's a lot of the smaller brewers kind of feel like well you know we just get overlooked and all the rest of it why am I paying my fees to SIBO mm-hmm. I mean this is, this is your moment to to pitch to, appeal, uh, to pitch <laughs> yeah. and appeal uh, appeal to brewers you know because some of the things you've said so far about the stuff that SIBO does I don't think gets picked upon as much and the positive aspects because yeah. it's very easy to focus on the negative stuff and be all like, well, you're not doing this and this and this, but actually, yeah, you're doing all this other stuff, you know. So, um, what what is CBA doing to help the its smallest, most vulnerable members? It, it all comes down to best communication. So there's so much work that goes on in CBA behind the scenes that we don't shout about enough, we don't celebrate enough. You know, some of the stuff that I do, I'm in I'm in Downing Street next week for a meeting. I'm seeing the Chancellor's special advisor next week. We'll be in Defra. We've got this meeting with the Portman Group, and we. We need to be better at communicating those kinds of things to members. Um, a lot of the kind of criticism that, that we get is, is rightly placed. Seabra, um, I think, has, has made a couple of blunders over the past couple of years um, in things that we, you know, could have been communicated better, could have been done better, and in retrospect, we probably would have done some, some different things. But that, to, to all the brewers and, and kind of drinkers listening to, to this great podcast, um, I would say, just come and come and speak to us, you know. Come and oh, we'll come and speak to you. I, I do as part of my job. I do membership kind of site visits, mm. and I always ask brewers the same three questions, which is what is Seba doing well? And I do, you know, we do get a lot of brewers saying good stuff, you know, either if it's beer flex or the lobbying work or the defence of small brewers relief or whatever. So I ask them what we're we doing well, what we're we not doing so well, and invariably that that is always be better at communicating. And then thirdly, I say, you know, if you're in front of the prime minister or the chancellor for ten minutes and you had the opportunity to explain something to them or tell them something, what would that be? And that approach always go, goes down really, really well. Um, when, I, when I do those member site visits, I go to a, a shed on an industrial estate and, and chat to the great people who make British craft beer. Um, they're, always, you know, they're always so welcoming, so warming, so appreciative, um, sometimes because they've been CBA members for 10 years and nobody's gone and visited. Mm. You know, I want to change that. And, the, the new strategy that we've got in place within CBA is all about member experience. Yep. It's all about how do members feel about being a CBA member and what can we do to make them feel better and improve their business as a result. Member experience, member benefit. Yeah. So where do you see CBA going over the next few years and what challenges do you think the organisation and its members are going to face, particularly in light of Brexit? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Looking into that? your crystal ball, <laughs> yeah. to break that down into smaller chunks. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, if the if the review of small brewers relief doesn't go well, and if the treasury decide to to cut relief for small brewers, I, I think that's going to be really serious. I think really really serious. Um, it's that that's tricky. That needs to go well, uh, and I'm. I am optimistic. I'm sounding very glum and, and downbeat, but it's because I've been at Beer Exit and stuff for the past <laughs> five days, and I'm knackered. Um, where's CBA going to go in the next five years? You know, when we have a really competitive marketplace out there, I've said that so many times over the last uh, twenty or thirty minutes or so. But when it is so tricky out there, 
um, we've got to be working extra hard to make sure that members value Siva, we're delivering that value, we're helping them get the cost of their business down, we're defending the critical things like um, small brewers relief, we're, we're allowing them to sell the beers that they want, so issues like the Portman Group are really interesting. Um, it, I guess for, for my work, it's about looking at what's coming down the track and communicating that to, to brewers um, that they might not know about. So one of the things that the government is currently looking at is deposit return schemes uh, for, for cans and bottles. And every time I speak to, to brewers about that issue, they go, well, I didn't know about that. And then you scratch a little bit further and they go, that's going to cost me thousands and thousands of pounds. And I'm, I'm working on that behind the scenes. Mm. So it goes back to my first point really is we're doing a lot of great work um, and we need to be better at communicating it so we can take the organisation forward yep. and we can take our members with us. So what are the main advantages of um, people staying in SEBA, you know, through a sort of teetering, teetering, if sort of teetering on the edge or even joining SEBA if they're not members yet? Um, I mean, the, the access to market that you get through BeerFlex, yes, the margins are small, but if that can work for your business, that's a great benefit because you can sell your beer to thousands of pubs, those type of pub estates that you wouldn't be able to get access to normally. Um, being a super member means that you can feed into the work that I do. So if you have a particularly strong view about small brewer's relief or business rates on your pub or you know network rail selling your railway arch to some developer that's going to hike your rent, mm. that kind of stuff, you know, we're doing all this stuff. Um, so being a super member allows you to input into that process. The other great benefit is all of the networking stuff that we do. So you know, BRX is... Oh, I mean, it's just a great event, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I mean, BRX is the, the one thing that we do really, really well. Yeah. You know, there's lots of things that we could improve upon, but BRX is bloody fantastic. It really is. BRX is the biggest gathering of brewers and brewing suppliers, definitely in the UK, if not in Europe. I think Brown might be slightly bigger, mm. actually. Have you been to Brown before? No, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't been to Brown before. I need to go next year or this year. Um, but yeah, it's... There's lots of cool things that we're doing. Just come to your local SIBO uh, regional meeting, come and meet the team, and have a beer. We can, we can only move on from that point. Having a beer. Having a beer. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, finally, where, where do you see the beer industry heading, and how do you think SIBO members can hop forward, pun intended, uh, <laughs> over this next turbulent period our nation faces? The consumers love craft beer. Consumers really do. And... You know, I'm presenting something later on where we're going to be talking about millennials drinking less but drinking better. Mm. And I think that's a trend we're going to see across, across the beer industry. You know, it goes back to that point before, 88% of the beer in the UK is made by four big globals with all of the marketing power, all of the lawyers, all of the slightly difficult, shady tactics that they use. Um, the future of the beer market is craft and it is about quality. If you're drinking less, why shouldn't you be drinking better? And that can only be good news for our members. Absolutely. And you can have more crunchy, I can. peanut, snicker, down efforts. On that point, should we go to the bar? Indeed. Brilliant. <laughs> well, James, thanks for your time. Um, just for people listening, if they're interested in SIBA or in particular they want to reach out to you so you can go defend them on their behalf, like how can they do that? You can just come and have a moan at me. That's part of my job as well. You know. Uh, yeah, I'm on james.calder, which is C-A-L-D-E-R at ciba.co.uk. All my details are on the website as well. Awesome. Let's go get that beer. We should. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and visit our website hotforward.beer for more articles, insights and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. 
Until next time, cheers. Right, so